G'day and welcome back to the Good Sesh Podcast. Uh, my name's Joel and I'm the founder of Big Little Brush. And as you probably already know, we sell beautiful biodegradable bamboo toothbrushes and use the profits to help fund health and hygiene programs in remote communities around Australia. Uh, this podcast is made on the unceded lands of the Bunurong people and I want to acknowledge all elders past, present and emerging. And if we ever get out of lockdown here in Melbourne, you should definitely come down for a hang. And I know I'm a bit biased because I live here, uh, but Bunurong country is absolutely stunning. Uh, this episode is a great yarn I got to have a few weeks ago with my good mate Johnsy from Red Dust. Um, and among many other really cool things, Johnsy is the cultural advisor at Red Dust. Uh, and they're the program partner we work most closely with when it comes to service delivery and the stuff we do with our profits. Um, we touch on that a little bit in this conversation too. I'll let Johnsy tell you about the other great work that he does. Uh, he's a really cool dude. Um, you're in for a bit of a treat. Quick heads up, in this conversation, we do talk about the police shooting of the young Indigenous man, Kumanjaya Walker, which happened in uh, Yundamu in Central Australia uh, in November 2019. The committal hearing for which wrapped up this week and we're expecting a committal decision uh, later this month. We talked about that in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, which Johnsy had a really interesting and I thought pretty powerful perspective on. Uh, we also talked about the impact of COVID-19 lockdowns and the travel restrictions on communities in the Northern Territory. So I'm stoked that you're listening and hope you really enjoy our conversation. Uh, we pick it up just as John Z introduces himself properly. It's John Z here and uh, my, my full name is Jonathan Lindsay Jabberjari Hermelwin. That's a long name. Uh, it means I've got a big family and I've got uh, big identity problems as well. Um, <laughs> where I call my... Where I call my Ngura or my country or home is Walungura, which is a place west of Alice Springs, 600k west in the middle of the desert, uh, also known as Kintor. Uh, so the place of the, the women's rock, uh, women's hills and the Ngindaka Chukorpa, the uh, Parenti law, uh, which is a big Parenti lizard that's, that's out that way. We call them the crocodile of the desert. Um, but in my, in my heritage, there's, um, there's first fleet Welsh, there's Javanese, there's Dutch, uh, there's Bunjalung and um, and a whole range of, of, of other smatterings of other mobs and cultures. Uh, Pindaby Lurichi is my mob. Uh, I identify as a Lurichi man, uh, initiated and speak five different languages. And so uh, at the moment, what I'm sitting down is I'm sitting down in Alice Springs, in Bondi Alice Springs. So that's on Arunda country. And I've got a block with our family out this way. Um, and uh, and when, it's, um, when the COVID crisis sort of leaves us, I'll be heading back out west, uh, out bush. Um, but I essentially have family here in the desert, right over to, to to New South Wales, and right over to Perth, up in Cairns, over in over in the islands of Java as well. And I'm pretty sure one of these days I'm going to go back and I'm going to claim my castle in Wales again, land rights for Wales, <laughs> um, because there's got to be something back there. But um, we'll hey, see, uh, we'll see. So that's like a, brother. a good plan. I reckon I'll take one look at you and hand over the keys. Eh? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't that. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so. So you red dust, you, you're working full-time for the crew and making stuff happen in programs in, in Alice um, and, and around? Yep. yep. At the moment, I work part-time with red dust. I'm, uh, I'm pretty much the go-to man for a range of different hats. So I wear a different mukara. The old, old hat goes on depending on what time of the day it is and what time of the week it is. Um, I'm, at the moment, Colin, yeah. I, oh, well, I don't know. It's, it depends. So it's, um, at the moment, I'm more of a cultural or strategic advisor. So I... I can go to the boardroom for uh, or the bush, and I'm pretty much across not only the strategic um, sort of direction of the organisation, but also the cultural capacity, 
um, and also obviously improving our own ability to de develop and deliver um, culturally responsive and relevant uh, youth programs, health programs for, for young people, but also for men uh, and for women. Uh, in remote areas is, is our particular focus, uh, remote communities, uh, around a whole range of things, whether it be FASD or domestic violence or addressing youth suicide or, or you, know, things about how, you know, things around how important it is to, to have a strong cultural identity, a strong place of belonging, uh, to know where we've come from uh, in order to help us go, uh, know where we're going. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, my role sort of split, is split between that and hosting a radio show. Uh, being a mechanic, um, being a, a professional musician, and uh, and of course all the responsibilities that come with with having a big family and the obligations that sort of pull me to and fro. But I have mm. been with Red Dust now for nearly nine years. Wow, um, amazing! Really deadly organisation who really listen to the people on the ground and who want to make a real difference. Mm. One of the amazing things I've always found with Red Dust is um, consistency, and they've just been showing up for you know thirty, forty, fifty years nearly, and um, they are, they don't mess about. Hey, they're not they're not in it for, mm. for shits and giggles. They're there to make a real impact, and yeah, they're a really cool, cruel people. Um, mm. So you've been back in Alice over the COVID kind of lockdown period. What's that been like? Yeah, yes and no, yes and no. I've been both bush and in Alice. Um, Great. Each depending on which direction we're going, we've been told to quarantine. So we've had to quarantine for a few weeks, mm -hmm. um, and that's not so. That's actually not so bad. I actually quite, have quite enjoyed it. Um, because well, one thing, the first thing is that when you're you know told to stay in one place, you actually either go stir crazy, you go full rummer up like mad, you full go crazy mad, or you get on with stuff that you've been wanting to do for ages. So yeah, yep. um, for that to do list. Yeah, so it's for me. It's like if I've been been out stuck in Alice Springs, it's up to Bunnings. It's uh, it's going to the mechanic shop and getting parts that I needed for those projects. It's getting stuff done on the house or on the block and playing with the animals and me chooks and me dogs and mm. and all our all our family catching up at home. And then out bush, it's been the same sort of deal. You you you're stuck out bush, so it means you can go hunting. You can sit down with family for longer. Uh, you can go for country visits because, of course, the the desert this time of year is just uh, delicious. Mm, it's um, it's yeah. oh mate, it's at night time. We might get down to about zero, but you buy the chili. Yeah, it's just chilly. Your swag. Yeah, it's, it's just a nippy one. Um, yeah. but during the day, the sun is shining and it's twenty eight degrees, and you know it's just like oh heaven kind of thing. So, um, that's helped us to be able to focus on family and stuff and and stuff at home. But you know the great thing, the great thing is the humbug. The humbug is. Uh, we're, we're family mob um, because we're related to everyone, right? So we're obliged to everyone, whether it be through our kinship system or our, you know, biology or whatever it might be. And, you know, we owe such and such something. Yeah, the humbug yeah. is, has disappeared. So it's How's not like, right? a, yeah, it's not like I'm sitting at home waiting for which family going to turn up next and want to eat out of my fridge and, <laughs> and want to, want to, you know, want to have a shower and yeah. shower. Yeah. And, you know, all the family turning up and this next minute there's 30 mob wanting to sleep in your lounge room. <laughs> so for that reason, it's kind of been like, you know what, I might enjoy this because um, yeah. Yeah. I, I might not see my family for a few months, but I tell you what, sometimes uh, it's the family you don't want to see. The family you want to see is the ones you don't want to see. And yeah. Like, nah, yeah. Leave them. They're right. They're right. I'll see them after. So Corona see them after. See them next time. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. You know, there's still <laughs> another seven, six or seven months to go before the end of the year. So we're right. So uh, how much has your approach and your mindset sort of played into, you know, that experience of having to isolate and that kind of thing? How important do you think that is? <laughs> 
Um, how important do you think that experience has been? Uh, oh, no, as in your mindset, sorry, your approach to it. Because it can go one oh, or two my, ways, right? Mindset, crazy or not. Yeah, uh, look, I think, I think it took a little bit of getting used to uh, because I'm the sort of fellow who has to be doing something different every day. Um, if you stick me under the bonnet of a car for more than two days, I'll get bored of it. You stick me on a stage doing playing music, I'll get bored of it pretty quickly after maybe two gigs. Mm. Um, I'm a school teacher, or, you know, a whole range of different things. So for me, um, being stuck in one place and sort of not being able to maybe travel as much or maybe, um, you know, be around different mob um, or, or whatever else has been um, – has been uh, tough to start with, tough to start, to start with, but eventually I – I've sort of found my, um, I find my way in terms of having to manage that. Um, and that meant, that pretty much just meant, well, you know, what, what, what's in front of you each day, take a day at a time. Um, don't think about next week and yep. don't think about the week after that. Um, yeah. Take, it take as a comes. day at a time. Yeah. What happens today is going to be remarkably different than tomorrow and take it mm. as it comes. I think for me, uh, I'm the sort of follow who has to work myself to, to the bone during the day in order to, when I go back to sleep, when I go back to bed, like I'm, I pass out. You're done. If, yeah. if yep. I go to bed and, and my brain's still ticking away and my muscles are still twitching and I haven't li- literally worked myself to the you know to the bone, I can't sleep. Like mm. I'll just be like I'll be tossing and turning and I'll be dreaming mm. about you mm. know pink elephants and and <laughs> you know brown rhinoceros coming into the desert. I don't know something you know. <laughs> um, so I'll have to get up and I'll have to go and do something. I'll have to go yeah. and, you know fix something or play my guitar or. Something yeah. like that. So Write a song, uh, the hardest a thing, yeah, 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 yeah. The hardest thing for me was I just had to find enough to do in mm. the day to mm. make sure when I got to bed I was out. Yeah, um, right. So pace yourself and yeah, pace don't, yourself. don't try and do it all at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also make, get, give yourself something that you can go to next, kind of thing. Mm, got it. Um, yeah. One yep. of the hardest things was though is that our, our satellite connection, our internet's terrible, right? So yeah, yeah. Just to try and connect with people, even through meetings and, and mob and family and stuff ringing up, it has been really, really hard. Mm. Um, you know, you can't even put Netflix on because Netflix don't work. So you can't even mm. sort of put a movie on, can't even put yeah. anything on. Yeah. So for me, it's kind of like bare basics back to, back to um, you know, back to just the phone, back yep. to just being at home. And I'm yep. um, having to cope with that and what that looked like, and then communicating the old the old telephone just with the, on the phone kind of thing rather than on the phone face like to face. The olden days, yeah. 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 yeah, Without that little dialy thing, the thing that goes round and round, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you press. That one, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember everyone had the same phone when I was a kid. It was always one of those dialy ones or one of those white ones with the buttons. Oh, yeah, that's, that's it. The memories. Um, so, how's the crew? Our bush. You're from Kintor. That's where you kind of you know, identify as home. Um, yeah. How's the the whole lockdown treated? Um, uh, crew, crew on country and in community. Mob, mob really don't like it. Like mm. it's everybody knows that you got to be careful of that big flu. Like they've been calling it big flu, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone knows that there's a there's a disease or a sickness or a flu. Picajera, picajera is what we've been calling it. Just a sickness. Mm. Um, so everyone knows the risk and they know that it's dangerous. Um, but not having the freedom, see living in remote areas, as you know, um, and, and mob, you know, might be aware of across the country when you live 600 Ks from your nearest, I don't know, uh, you know, sports store, your nearest Kmart, your nearest target, your nearest, you know, McDonald's, whatever you want to, you know, you, you want to call suburbia, uh, and the opportunities that come with that, obviously, you know, um, to go out to shop, to work, um, has its limitations because you can, there's only so many times you can go into your community store and pay for a ten dollar lettuce, yeah, or yeah. or a, you know, like a five for six dollar bottle of milk, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So 
um, the opportunities on community um, with the way that your communities have been made up. I mean, if you know anything about your assimilation history, most communities, if you look, if you say the word community, most people assume that a community is a place of harmony and unity and togetherness. And but mm. but the re- truth is, remote communities initially, and we're only going back in the in the in the central Australian region less than fifty years. Mm. They were they were essentially asylum, uh, not asylum camps, assimilation camps. Yes, yep. they were places forced, where yeah. mob forced assimilation. It was mob mm. taken off their lands, off their mm-hmm. homelands, and they were forced into com- communities. You know, in speech marks there. Um, but they were put in on somebody else's land. Um, they were put with other mob of different languages, different tribal backgrounds, different value systems, different mm-hmm. ways of doing and being and, and living and told to get along. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in terms of that, that limited our relationship and limited our ability to really feel like we were at home. Mm-hmm. So mob out bush are kind of like, when can we go? We're used to going to town. We're used to going shopping. We're used to being able to get in our Toyota and, and going and visiting family in other communities and, and mm-hmm. obviously, obviously go out to our outstations and that sort of thing. So yeah. mob, we're, we're pretty aware of it, and they, but I reckon after about a week, they were like, oh, we're sick of this, we're sick of this. <laughs> so it was one of those, especially when, like I've said, the internet's really bad. You know, there's only so many times you can call somebody and talk to them. Yeah, you know, just like, you, yeah, the fuel supply has been cut off. So what happened was a lot of the local stores actually limited fuel supply, so you could only get like 20 bucks. Or, or twenty liters uh, of fuel, just to go around, alice, mate. Yeah, just to go around the community, and to get the alice, we need like one hundred and eighty, yeah. you know, liters of fuel, kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. it was like there's only so many times you can do. Can you, you just imagine in your own home or your own community? <laughs> how many times can you take your car, how many laps around and around yeah. and around? That's that same roundabout like sixty times yeah. in a day. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the old let's same go for a cruise. Dogs and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yo, let's go for a cruise. It's over in less than five minutes, and you're back <laughs> to where you started. So, Might as well go kick I, the footy or go back to the shop. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can imagine the, it's tough. Yeah. The negative side of that was that mob became have become disengaged, and that means potentially you know, more people getting into arguments with their partners. And it's no different than, than ever in the rest of the world, I guess. 100%. Yep. When you're told to stay at home, be with the ones you love, but then you don't end up loving them after two days. <laughs> um, you know, like it's it's been tough like that. Yeah. But, and um, they're sick of loving you too, yeah. They're sick yeah. of loving you, yep. Yeah. Um, but, but the benefits are, like I've said, that has meant though that mob have been able to get onto country. So even from community, we've been able to go to our, our stations. Mm. We've been able to go for a little hunt. We've been able to go for a little trip with the kids yep. uh, and those sorts of things have been pretty, um, you know, long, we've, we've needed them for a long time. So it mm. means because we haven't been able to go to town or, or go a long way, we can just go short way, but still places that we mm. may have not have been to for the last couple of years. So yeah. Yeah. Um, we found people in our own communities that we've been able to go and visit that we would normally not be bothering to go and see in places that we'd be not bothered to go see because we're always too busy doing other things. So yeah. I can imagine yeah. that's probably brought in a bunch of the young people in community as well, the young fellas to yep. you know, to get them yep. more engaged in that kind of thing as well. Yep. Yeah, yep. plenty of footy, plenty of footy going on, plenty of sport yep. as well. Okay. Um, you know those sorts of things. Plenty of good yarns as well, and obviously because we've been hunting a bit more just in our local areas, there's been plenty of bush tucker mm. um, mm-hmm. and and plenty of campfire feeds and and sharing yep. uh, with mob as well. So that's been good in that regard. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Mm. Um, shifting gears a little bit, you know, it's been a really interesting time um, uh, in the broader culture with uh, the, the Black Lives Matters movement, Black Lives Matter movement. Part of me, um, you know, really fired up uh, after what went down in the US, and we've seen that kind of um, uh, reaching its tentacles into um, into Australia, which I think, in some ways, is a really positive thing. 
you know, shine the light on police brutality and deaths in custody, um, you know, at home in our own country. And, and we don't talk about that very well as a nation and we don't address that very well as a nation. Um, I'm keen to get your perspective on on that. And it's a very big subject, I know. And uh, obviously you're a busy man. You've got things to, people to go and yarn to. I don't want to hold you up. But, you know, the, the short compressed version of the story, John T. Um, but oh. the other, the other mm. element there is, is, is how does that translate to community? Because, you know, we're protesting mm. in, in Melbourne. How does that help us in, in Kintore? Yeah, look, good question. Uh, and obviously very, very topical at the moment, very on the radar. Um, I guess we can't forget that it was 2014 when Eric, Eric Garner was the fella who in America couldn't breathe and he was sat on by, he was a big guy, big fella. He was sat on by police and obviously he, he actually died from um, losing his breath and I, I'm pretty sure it was something else as well, like a heart attack or a, mm. a, a stroke or something. But he was a very original, uh, not the original, but he was the movement. He, he was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And that was 2014. And I got wind of that years and years ago and went straight out and bought a T-shirt, or about, bought about four, actually, of I Can't Breathe shirts. Um, and in 2014, that was massive because it was just another um, event that, that took another black life at the hands of the police and, and coincidentally, at the hands of, the black, of white police. So when it happened recently um, uh, with old mate George, um, George Floyd or Floyd George? Floyd, yeah, yeah, yep. that's right. The way, the way this is, when it happened with him, it was just another reminder uh, at the international level, of course, from the states of what's been happening. But it triggered off some massive things for us in Australia because only less than six months ago at Yundamu, which is only mm-hmm. two three hundred k away from where we are uh, yeah. in Wollongong, and of course he's our he's actually our my ne- my nephew and our grandson from our country, but he was raised in Walpuri country, he was raised in Yundamu. So it's a very, it's a family sort of story. Uh, he died at the hands of the police. Um, uh, he was he was shot in his own be- be- uh, bedroom, and yeah. uh, and he was he was on parole or he was on visit for a family funeral for a grandfather, another grandfather. So he was only in to move for a funeral. He'd been at the funeral during the day, and he was shot um, and arrested. Sorry, he was arrested then shot on the on the evening of the funeral. Um, the police came and raided his house. Mm. Um, and, um, and obviously with his death, it was the circumstances around it were unjust because he was taken, he was shot in his own bedroom. He was shot after a funeral. So he was already emotionally sort of spent from mm. the funeral mm. or the loss of the family. The, mm. the, the family were already mourning the death of that loved one, that old man that passed away. Um, and then all the circumstances around that, the injustice around the, the family not being informed, um, the, his body being left in the police station for hours and hours and hours before mm-hmm. finally an ambulance came, before finally it was, um, a, a, whatever the word is, taken back into town. And mm-hmm. all of that um, was just another reminder of the 400-odd mob who, who, in Australia who uh, died in, in police custody mm-hmm. uh, and still no conviction. So what it did was it triggered. It triggered all of our communities all across Australia not only the desert communities, but all the families who've ever lost a loved one um, in, in, the, in the judicial system, in police custody, uh, who've ever felt uh, the hand of the police, the heavy hand of the police in their own personal lives, whether it be at a bottle saying because they're black, they can't, get, can't buy grog, but you can be white and you can walk in and get grog. So the, mm. dis, the disadvantage, not the disadvantage, the, the, um, the lack of um, equity uh, and equality around the way that Aboriginal people are treated in the in the eyes of the law and the social social and cultural stereotype 
stereotyping and racial stereotyping and profiling that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it obviously triggered off a very sore, very, um, very sensitive um, and, 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 you know, and, and very real experience of so many Aboriginal people in Australia and, of course, Indigenous mob and black followers, people of colour all over the world around, around that. Um, so, look, I, I think in terms of remote areas, we were more impacted by, the, by Kumanjay Walker it was the. It was his. Yeah. It was what happened to him that was most significant, mm. um, and so that triggered off. But then once the once the flow on effects came and the protests started happening, and the other mob on the east coast and in all the cities and stuff started started to join in protest around around all of that, um, it did they did 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 then become part of our, our sort of our national um, uh, movement. Um, and it, and all it does is speak to is speak to that injustice. It it doesn't really. This is what people say to me. You know, they say, look, you know, all lives matter. Yeah, that's fine. All lives do matter. Um, and white lives matter and brown lives matter and yellow lives matter and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there are good police out there. We're not talking about necessarily systemic injustice or systemic. There's a problem with, this, with the system of the police force or whatever it might, might be. Some people would argue that that's, that is the case, that it's systemic. Mm. Um, I don't see, I don't see um, systemic racism uh, because I don't, I've never read a policy that says, you know, it, you know I have in the past. But not in recent times, real po- policies that have actually segregated people on the basis of race, mm. nor nor you know um, legislation that has um, has has determined for people the way that they should live or shouldn't live. Those have been policies in our past. But today, I think it's more about individual people who are racist, mm. um, individual police officers, individual poli- people in positions of power mm. who maybe think they're doing the right thing, and mm. they might be thinking that they they're doing the right thing by Aboriginal people, by those who are disadvantaged, that they're their role in life is to be a bit of a spokesperson or, or an advocate for for black followers but in so doing they can also be the ones taking away the voice of the black people and they can also be only only really enacting their own bias and their own worldview on aboriginal people's lives so their worldview is essentially colonial it's white it's it's a framework that isn't actually indigenous mm. and without even realizing it they're doing they think they're doing the right thing but they end up not doing the right thing um but it's also it's also that notion of um, you know Martin Luther King Jr. said it. He said he spoke about the white the white moderate, but it was really in relation to just people's superficial understanding. He said something like you know the the greatest barrier to freedom is um, is, is is not racism. It's actually um, it's actually superficial or um, what's the word shallow understanding from people of goodwill than it mm-hmm. is um, outright rejection. It's outright rejection from people of ill will. Um, so luke, mm. lukewarm acceptance is far mm. more bewildering than outright rejection and it, and it, he talks about the fact that it's more about people's ignorance and and um, and their lack of understanding um, and their good intentions but actually end up being misguided and end up being uneducated or really not in touch with the, the truth that really impacts us in the long run but also just that inability to listen to voices so I think for for us the for me personally the um, the the pressure point, or I guess the crux of what's been happening is when yes, all lives matter, white lives matter too. But at the moment, black lives and black voices need to be listened to uh, because of the fact that we haven't been listened to for too long, and this has still never been addressed. Um, and at the moment, it's about listening to those black lives. It's about listening to those black voices, and that doesn't take away from other voices nor take away from other lives. But it's important and imperative that at, at this point in time we prioritize that mm. so that we can address that. We can address the injustice. We can address, you know, whatever the systemic changes need to take place. We can also mm. speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can also, we can also bring Australia and bring our, 
particularly our, 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 um, our politicians and our people in power into the table, into the board, you know, into the room to say, listen, you've got to change something here because if you only do as you've always done, you'll only get as you've always got. And you mm. keep trying to do the same thing over and over and over again, thinking that it's going to be a solution. And that's just the, the um, it's just insanity. It's just the definition of insanity. So please do something different. Please take on a different worldview. Please take, address this from a different angle. And if you don't know what angle to address it from, listen to the voices who are speaking to you and saying that, that um, this is how you should do it because it's about, it's a bloody well about time. Coming up after a short break, Johnsy talks to us about the importance of having a personal reconciliation action plan and also recommends some great books. So stay tuned. For me, uh, you know, a privileged white dude from uh, suburban Melbourne, my question is what can I do, uh, you know, at my level in my universe to be a good supporter, a good ally? Mm. You know, I love the, love, you know, been so lucky to spend some time with Ochu and um, Arionga, uh, you know, West Alice, and uh, you know, I kind of consider them my people, and um, uh, mm. you know, I've been really mm. thinking about them a lot over this period. And um, you know, it's, it's hard because we can't get there. We can send good vibes, and we can send footies and stuff like that. But what, you know, yeah. what can we do? What can yep. we do on a on a day to day basis? Is really my question: is, like, How can I help? How can we help? I'll I'll sum it up. I'll sum it up in one word. It's it's find your own reconciliation plan. So we talk about organisations who've got reconciliation plans as an organisation. Well, for the rest of Australia, for rest, the rest of us, and this is, this is Blackfellas included, mm. it's, it's saying, what's your reconciliation plan? So what's your role in this? Wherever you are, wherever you're situated, whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your, you know, your family, who your family are, whatever your role is in the community, is find out what your plan is personally for reconciliation. Is it is it reaching out to local community members? Is it finding your local Aboriginal org? Is it learning a local language in your town or your city? Is it um, lending a, a loving or helping a hand to a, to a neighbour uh, or to a stranger or to that Aboriginal family that you know have always lived down the road, down the street, but you've never really said hello to them or gotten to know them or, or spent some time with them chilling out? Um, what's your reconciliation plan? Is it getting online and doing some reading? Is it is it finding Bruce Pascoe's book and reading Dark Emu it, from an Aboriginal perspective of Aboriginal past for the first time rather than a white perspective of Aboriginal past? Um, is it enlightening yourself to experiencing new cultures or new experiences, taking yourself out of your own comfort zone, putting yourself into another world that's that's like Uchul or even Bali that's, you know, somewhere that's not your culture but people yeah. continue to try and make their culture. They, mm -hmm. Yeah, you go to Bali, people try to make it white so that Aussies can fit in. Well, how about you just enjoy Bali for what it is for a change and not make mm -hmm. it, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Or when you go to Ucho and, and enjoy being in a space where you're the only white follower, you're the only non-Indigenous person and they're all talking a different language, mm -hmm. um, em embrace that space. Um, mm -hmm. Figure out what that means for you. So it's, it really is personalising reconciliation and it's saying, it might be just educating your own family. You might have a family who are really naive or really ignorant or even outright racist. And you're like, gee, how do I, how do I, maybe that's my job. Maybe that's my role is developing a reconciliation action plan in enlightening them and having some tough talks with them, having some real talks, but some tough talks. Maybe it's about your kids, teaching your kids some, some stuff about the local Aboriginal people or sharing them with experiences of other people of other cultures. Um, but that's what it is. It's, it's find your own reconciliation action plan and develop it and implement it for yourself. 
because your role matters. Uh, and one by one, we can create a change, and that's to be the change that you want to see in the world. Uh, and it's as simple. It's as simple as that, really. It's not. Mm. It's nothing too, too too much more simple than that. And if you need tips or you need pointers, find someone who can um, guide you in the right direction because there's always mm. somebody out there who knows a little bit more than you, um, and who um, you know who might be able to give you a different take on on a, on a common perspective that maybe you just need a little bit of a shake up around. Mm. Love it. Very wise words, and um, I love that because it starts with starts with you, doesn't it? it starts with me. It starts mm. with the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Very very yeah. very powerful. And we, we, we underestimate we underestimate our individual sphere of influence, like. Think about how many people we influence just on a single day. Mm. We we inter- we 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 um, what's the word? We communicate. We 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 work with you know 10, 20, 30 people a day, um, and all of them we've got the they've got the ear of our of our voice and our heart and our spirit. So um, we we're, we're mm. we shouldn't underestimate our sphere of influence either. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, and I think that starts with intent too. So setting your intent in the right yeah. place, and, and the rest of it falls yeah. out of there, right? Um, the great book that I really enjoyed was "Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia." Do you need a high? Yes, yes. Um, a little snapshot uh, of lots of stories, eh? Beautiful. And was beautiful there one? Answer. Was Was there one story you found particularly intriguing? One person's story. Yeah, there was a story of a young man um, whose name I, I, has escaped me, but um, he grew up in, in Melbourne. Uh, his dad was a boxer. He grew up in the, the tenant houses, um, you know, Richmond, St Kilda, that sort of area. And um, yep. so it tells a story of, uh, of um, seeing his family for the beautiful, encouraging, supportive, delightful people that they were. Um, and imperfect as well at the same time and, and how that was okay and uh, and how he had to take his childhood experience into his adulthood and, um, you know, it's, it's like it doesn't matter that dude was Indigenous, like it, it was just an amazing story and um, he could have been telling the story of my childhood, you know, and, and that was a really cool moment for me because I think as a, a white guy living in a colonial environment, um, yeah, Often, often you feel like, um, what's the way to put it? Like interacting with Aboriginal and Indigenous culture, like I feel like I'm going to get it wrong, right? And and I feel like there's mm. so much at stake, and there's mm. these hundreds and hundreds of years of brutal colonialism um, that, that come along with communicating or you know, being involved in Aboriginal culture. It's just it's such a lie that I tell myself because. Aboriginal culture and history is Australian history, and and, um, mm, and we're all mm. just we're all just we're all just humans, right? It doesn't matter, like Spot at on. that, Spot that on. level. So that story was really interesting for me, and kind of shattered a little bit of a preconceived notion of um, mm. of what it meant to be Aboriginal in Australia. It just means being a normal fella, you know. <laughs> mm, <laughs> it's the same. Mm, it's the same deal. Mm. Um, different, different environment, different struggles, and you know, um, uh, and and culturally very biased towards the white man, but you know, it's the same, mm, same mm. Australia. Um, mm. uh, you also mentioned Dark Emi, Bruce Pascoe. Any other great resources or books that you'd recommend when we're forming our, our personal wraps, reconciliation action plans? Definitely, definitely. Um, they, those two are, are, are great books to, to read um, and great perspectives. It's about hearing those perspectives and the diversity of those perspectives as well. Mm. I think I think Dark Emi is particularly good, by because what it does is it completely um, obliterates um, and and interrogates that minimalistic, that deficit uh, understanding uh, of Indigenous knowledge systems mm. that has been taught to Australia for the last two hundred odd years. That Indigenous people were nothing more than savages, uh, unsophisticated. Um, 
you know, yeah. didn't know how to really care for the land, didn't have, you know, who were less evolved and all of the different... Just all um, bullshit, turns all, out. <laughs> all, all nonsense, all nonsense and all false representations yes. of truth. Convenient more, truths, yeah. Yep. But more importantly, more importantly than that, um, that, that knowledge still applies today mm-hmm. and we still, oh, gee, I'll tell you, we're still barely, we're just grasping onto it. But we are at the point in time is that if we don't capitalize, if we don't value that knowledge, if we don't draw on that knowledge, if we don't listen to those voices, we are, we're going to lose, um, we're going to lose it forever. And we're almost at that point because of the fact that so many languages have already been decimated. So many stories have been decimated. So many old people have already passed away. Um, and that also so many of us also today are so colonized in our mindsets, whether we're black, white or otherwise, our minds are colonial. They're, 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 they've been engineered to think colonially, which is, mm. you know, um, not been helpful for any of us. Uh, in, in, right from the way that we treat the land as a resource, as, an, as, a, as something that we, that we mm. take from and then mm. we, we, we abandon, we clear, uh, not something that we, we depend upon um, right through to, to the way that we see family, the way that we view what family is. Um, and, and for mob, it's about so much more than your birth certificate. Mm. Just because you have the same father and mother on your birth certificate and you're related to somebody else who has a birth certificate like you does not mean necessarily that they're just your family. Mm. Your family mm. are so much broader than that. And mm. the Aboriginal value of family uh, or mob, more, more importantly, not family, because that, that's very diminishing. It's, mm. it's mob. mob yeah. It's mob. It's where you belong. It's who cares mm. for you. It's who you love. It's where you're safe. It's where you're protected. Mm. Um, mm. The, four, the four values for me that I always share about mob or family is that we're connected in four ways. We're connected through our DNA, so that's fine. That's our biology. We're connected through our ceremony, so we're, we're ceremonially connected. If we're initiated alongside another fellow, they become our ceremonial brothers. If we're initiated alongside another woman, they become our ceremonial sisters. Uh, and all of life's, um, what's the word, uh, rites of passage that come with that make us connected ceremonially. The third one is that we're connected by the mob who grow us up. So if we call that one dad and that one mom and that one brother and that one sister, Auntie, they are our, uh, yeah. yep, yep, yep. They're the ones who raised us. We've lived under their roof. They've fed our tummies. Mm. Um, they've, mm-hmm. they've, you know, put clothes on our back and all that sort of stuff. They're Tortoising, our family. Yeah. Yep. 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 100%. The ones yep. Tortoising. And the last one, the fourth one is the kinship system. So our, our, our skin system or our kinship system then brings us in this family as well. You know what that's like mm. because you've experienced that. Um, mm-hmm. But none, but all four of those are as equally as important as the other. Some of us mm. are lucky to have all four connections. Some have one, some have two, some have three. But mm. there's not one that is mutually exclusive or is valued over the other, which mm. is often what people will say. They'll say, oh, who's your real family? No, they are all my real family. They are all my real family, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. If, it's, if it's right through from the knowledge of the way that we treat the land, right through the way that we see family and we see mob and we see connectedness to one another, not by the color of our skin, but by the way that we were raised and by the what we were taught by elders, those knowledge systems, they still apply today. And if we don't draw on them, what are we missing out on as a nation? Mm. What, what are we missing out, missing out on as people? What, what path are we going to continue to go down? Are mm. we going to continue to go down the path of capitalism that only just wants the rape and the pillaging of the land? We only see people or land by the value of money that it, that it represents to us? Or are we going to actually see deeper than that and see that that rock there is more than a rock? It's a stone. Mm. It's, it's come, it comes from a mountain. It comes from lava in the earth. It's journeyed. It can be used as an axe head or a spearhead, but it can also be used as bricks and mortar to build a home. Ground down, we can, it can be formed into ochre, which makes, it, makes for us our ceremonial dress, which mm. then can be painted, which then can be used in art, can be then used in ceremony, mm. can be used in mm. you know, a whole... I mean, for us, there's no, there's not, 
there's no one way of explaining something and we don't diminish that knowledge system. We can explain one word a hundred times over and, and, um, and books like Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu helps people to see that that knowledge has been around for tens of thousands of years. It's kept us alive for tens of thousands of years and it's also valid today because in less than 200, less than 300 odd years, we're passing away as a people. We're, we're dying. We're malnourished and we're, we're, we're culturally poor and we're, we're, um, we're, we've lost all of those strengths. And if you think that that knowledge is important, the last 200 years is more important than the last tens of thousands of years is more important, then you've probably got your head screwed on wrong because you don't survive for tens of thousands of years with poor knowledge or poor mm. wisdom. Mm. You, you survive with knowledge that, and that, that's true and wisdom that is valid. Um, and if, we, if, we, if there was ever a time that we needed it, it's now. To learn more about Red Dust, the great work that Johnsy does, and some of the great resources he recommended, check out the show notes. You can also score yourself some beautiful biodegradable bamboo toothbrushes via our website, biglittlebrush.org. Thanks heaps for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Good Sash.